us and today we're back after after a bit of uh, hiatus and uh, we're back with another episode of the spirit soul series and uh, we've got supachiji with us here and thank you so much for joining again supachiji and yeah continue. okay hari krishna and thank you kanan happy to be back uh, the jay shila prabhupad and this yes, is uh, bhagavad gita chapter 10 uh we are going to verses 4 and 5 so here uh, in the previous chapter the pra- chapter practically ended with krishna telling uh, arjuna basically this famous manmana bhava mad bhakto verse which is mm-hmm. that you, all you have to do is to fix your mind on me surrender unto me worship me pay obeisances to me so now in in the next chapter he is going to give more information about himself that makes it possible for us to try to do this mm. that's the connection between he is going to give much more information about himself so therefore this chapter 10 of which we already looked at the first two verses in a previous class it's mm. called uh, opulence of the absolute or the sanskrit for it is vibhuti yoga all the marvelous energies of lord krishna and is going to start listing them so that it we are trained uh, that wherever you look you can't but see the connection and think of krishna that way gradually over uh, some long time of this practice and realizing this knowledge that he sharing here it becomes possible to try to just fix your mind on him that's the whole idea so he starts the chapter by of course telling uh, arjuna that arjuna is being favored he is going to be given even more confidential knowledge than what he's been given earlier mm-hmm. and and why because uh, he is uh, go back to verse 1 and see why is he saying uh, that he's giving better this more in knowledge listen uh, supreme personality god said listen again o mighty arjuna because you are my dear friend for your benefit i shall speak to you further giving knowledge that is better than what i have already explained right so this this point about uh, arjuna being a dear friend of krishna's is crucial it's uh, it's not an impersonal relationship at all it depicts as reciprocation here and the next two verses it's like a disclaimer or a warning he says nobody can understand me meaning not even the great demigods on the sages whom we set so much store by all those crores of demigods or the great soldiers the great sages they don't know uh his so, uh, original actually, yeah i just had one doubt actually in this like when krishna says that um, you know i'm going to explain uh, explain to you for the giving knowledge is better than what i would explain previous chapter is like it says confidential knowledge so yeah, yeah. so that so this knowledge that he's about to uh, say is more is more than that or is it yeah, that it- no no it is more it is not just hyperbole it is not that he is just uh, praising uh, the knowledge or glorifying it to get arjuna to pay attention or get the reader it's not it's even more confidential in the sense it gets us closer to what he's asked us to do in the previous chapter therefore it's more valuable because if someone just tells you look you have to get 100% marks in this branch of maths but they don't tell you how you're supposed to do it they don't put you on to tutorials or you know to or uh, what are they called like worksheets that help you practice well enough to get it mm. yeah so the, then it there's no point so that in the ninth chapter he's told us that the real the real goal of this life is to fix our minds manmana bhava mat bhakto on him 
how we supposed mm. to do it because there are 101 distractions all the time you know and there's so many things you have to attend to so now he is going to reveal information by which it almost becomes naturally possible to fix our mind on him despite those 101 distractions and hassles and hurdles and challenges that every every person faces in the material world so mm. therefore this is one step further and it will go on like this till we come to the 12th chapter because remember these chapters 7 to 12 are considered the heart of the bhagavad gita and they are considered like uh, the bhakti chapters mm. see they consider the bhakti chapters because the uh, the first six chapters were considered the karma chapters and the last six are considered the gyan chapters okay so this going to progressively get more and more valuable and confidential until we get to chapter 12 Actually, uh, when when I go through my own readings, like right now, I'm on the fifth. Like, I've been like this is the fifth time that I'm like reading the Bhagavad Gita again with yeah. the with the Sanskrit words, the English uh, words, and the yeah. synonyms. I go through the synonyms also one by one, and then the purport also. Right. So like so like that. So this is like the fifth time that I've been doing it. After some time, I'm getting. i'm getting like this uh, the kind of understanding like what is like um, some things are like you know i'm i'm getting to understand like you know which are the chapters that where this like where things suddenly change like it's somewhere here in this 9th uh-huh. to 10th chapter where yeah. things suddenly like change to like you know you kind of at the end of the 9th chapter you kind of realize that krishna is going into a different level like he's taking arjuna to a different level because up till now he's been explaining things like in the second chapter you know you explain like you know about how you know like it's it's mainly about how you know the arjuna is going through all these it's like tell, krishna telling arjuna that you know that you need to like you know act in this world and like you know that you know you commit sins like is lot of lot of us like talking about sins and how um if you don't act then you'll be like a coward people will like look at you in that kind of way then krishna is going through like you know as time is one of the chapter i think the sixth chapter where he talks about jnana yoga and or like that that process of um, i think it's the fourth chapter fourth i think where is karma yoga i think it's the fourth yeah, chapter yeah third and third and fourth are karma fourth, chapter yeah uh, and then jnana yoga so every chapter like krishna is like explaining how in relation to like you know these things that are like you know um whether you believe in like karma or dhyana or all these other different processes it's right. kind of like krishna telling tell him like you know in his like arjuna's state of mind is like in the starting is of he's like completely like doesn't know what to do so right. he doesn't push him in directly to the bhakti path where doesn't right. tell him directly into that that this thing he can't he's kind of telling him like you know okay this is you know this is you need to act in this world but do it for me but right. then you can't tell him no actually there's something even more better than what i have already said right now and like that it keeps going and then every chapter is like krishna telling arjuna things that are already like slightly better than what he already knows and then the last few chapters he kind of even though it's like a little bit of like a gyanic this thing he yeah. tells it can try to tell arjuna that even though this is this like you know this this kind of under knowledge is like you know kind of important there's like a if you don't understand in relation to me then it's of absolutely like no use in one sense like you will get yes. stuck you'll be in like a you know speculation or stuff and i've been reading this uh, yeah yeah 
so it's good that you're able to pick up this change of uh, tone and change of mood and you know the 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 way the instructions have been given but uh, remember that the last uh, six chapters after the 12th chapter though they seem like you said gyanik or gyani and lot of information they are vital to understand how to negotiate the material world because you can have all the bhakti in the world and you can you could have grasped uh, whatever uh, he is lord krishna has been saying about bhakti but finally we have to live in this material world so if you don't know how the material world or maya or the material energy and the three modes work or operate and how in many 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 ways they are constantly trying to catch us if you don't know how to get past that then it's a major handicap to get anywhere yeah red one uh, discussion with um, garuda das uh, and chetana charan and garuda i think garuda das had mentioned like in in i think chetana charan had got out this point of how the gita is divided into these six chapters like first three are like you know it's divided into three so garuda das said something like you know i'm not that big a fan of dividing it into three or like that big a fan yeah. of dividing it three and then saying this is that and like this is karmic yoga okay. and okay. so what i would say is like you know it's all in a progression but i don't know it's but also the same time i guess the other thing also works i don't know what is your opinion on that the other thing also works and you can't say it's all in a progression because at least verse to verse sometimes krishna is talking about a higher level and then suddenly he jumps downwards he kind of goes downwards to a lower level he is very flexible so to say that is all progression all of it is valuable there's no doubt about it even if we tend to have a kind of uh, idea in our mind that in hierarchy in hierarchical terms the bhakti chapters are the most valuable and the most superior therefore the old commentators you know there were commentators in the vaishnava sampradaya tradition who lived in vrindavan 500 years ago they are those who have made this analogy of a book with two covers and the real wealth of the book being inside in the middle and that's the six chapters of the bhagavad gita and the other two are the other two sets of six so that that analogy comes from them of the bhakti chapters in the middle and the gyan and the karma on the other side that's why it's being used but yeah all of it is valuable and sometimes you can see progression and sometimes you can see that krishna is taking arjuna to uh, offering a much lower level that we'll see even in the 12th chapter suddenly you will see between verses 5 or 7 and 12 when we come to it you will see he's offering so many levels if you can't do this you do this if you can't do this you do this and he keeps going downwards actually he goes downwards rather than going upwards that if you can't do anything at least do this it ends like that 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 particular discussion that section so uh, yeah but all of it is valuable and the the verses that tell you about how the material energy works the three modes how to recognize the modes in our food in religion in religious practices that's basically chapter 14 then it is it comes up again in chapter 18 uh, the varnas according to the three modes the ashrams uh, to some extent all chapter 18 or chapter chapter 18 also is a very yeah chapter 17 divisions of faith that's also chapter 18 is also the longest chapter in the bhagavad Cha- gita chapter 18 also is, is a good chapter like it kind of explains all the the lot of like i made lot of points i have this like i made this word document where i oh. where every time i like kind of uh, find a good verse i'll just put uh-huh. it on that and like Oh, sometimes wow. i'll just go through it and uh, stuff like okay, you know like okay. and there are a lot of verses in the 18th chapter like i think it's verse 
uh, one is obviously the I think it's was 70 no, not 70 uh, 69 right where right. the where Krishna says you know do uh, uh, deliberate on what you need to do now further that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that 69 right yeah, and then yeah. 73 I think 73 I think 73 was 78 verses yeah 70 78 I that's again Sanjay talking you know conveying you know like telling Tasha like you know um wherever there's Krishna I think this is the last verse yeah, yeah, yeah. Sanjay yeah. says when wherever there's Krishna Arjuna will be victorious and stuff so yeah. like that I was listening to a talk in this temple at the Bhakti Center they were discussing the importance of that verse they were saying that that verse is that verse is like you know if you if you want to know you know uh, where victory stands or where, where, where you know you need to know that you know in the last verse of the Gita it shows that you know because Krishna had Arjuna that's why he ended up winning order so victory is always on the side of Krishna like so like there was yeah so no, so I was just saying so they were saying that Sanjaya is like you know I think somebody was saying why is why Sanjay's like words, like why why is his words included in the Gita, for example? Uh -huh. okay. Because I thought you know, the whole conversation is supposed to be between I Krishna. See. I see. So, so that's where uh, somebody got. It. So what, what did someone give an answer to that? Did Kausubha Prabhu? I think uh, uh, I think I think they were, I think some no I think it was some other uh, devotee. I don't know the name, but he was saying that you know the whole Gita's it's coming from first of all like Sanjay's perspective. Right. And like he it starts off with his perspective. He tells the Tarashtra that you know the that you know the armies are like in formation and they're all like you know in the battlefield. And in the end of it, he's like, you know, it's like concluding what he's able to see. Like up till now, you're yeah. you're, you're hearing the conversation in Krishna Arjuna, but at the end, like it also is like kind of showing you that you know that this conversation is for like all of us, like you know, everybody has to listen into this conversation. It's like right. we are all peering into like you know we're all like you're all we're all like you know looking from from a bit of far the conversation we're all like Sanjay in one sense like you know we're also right. like from a distance looking into the conversation hearing the conversation between Krishna and Arjuna right. and that these two are individuals they are having their own discussion and uh, yeah so like that's like this when Sanjay says, yeah, yeah also for the for the sake of continuity because Sanjay appears right at the end to give this conclusive verse because he also appears right at the beginning of the uh, Bhagavad Gita after Dhritarashtra asks Dharma Kshetri Purukshetra and then what Sanjay basically is reply it is it, very much there right in the beginning so it's also for continuity's sake and um, uh, it's going back to what you said uh, about yeah the, the the way the chapters are viewed the 18 chapter is also very valuable it also gives uh, some of this information that comes up in chapter 14 and chapter 17 you'll see that uh, uh, nice description of action in the three modes very very valuable that of happiness in the three modes very valuable that sometimes happiness that starts tasting very sweet and then quickly it all fizzles out and basically it ends like poison on the contrary happiness in the mode of goodness it starts slowly initially it's all tough going but it's long lasting and then the results are permanent and like taste like nectar very valuable perspective on when we are dealing with situations and we become bitter disappointed can't see our way so 18 chapter is also full of very so many practical points and uh, here uh, what we are going to do now yeah. this is uh, verse four and five 
a whole lot of qualities are listed, good and bad. And Krishna is telling us that uh, these qualities also created by me. You know, you may have it, the good and the bad. Devotees and non-devotees may have these qualities, but just remember that they're also coming from me. Now, the purport the Shri Prabhupada gives here is very valuable. It's lengthy for each of those. Yeah, you know, I read it. I actually read this verse today only. Oh, really? Oh, yes, because you're going in this session. Yeah, this is day to day. Right. Yes, look at the, yeah, do we want to chant together because it's yeah. uh, a big chunk together. Let's see. Yeah. Buddhir Buddhir gyanam asamohaha, shama satyam yeah. damasamaha, sukham dukham bhavo bhavo, bhayam chabhyam evacha. Again. Buddhir Gyanam Asamohaha Shamaha Satyam Dama Samaha Sukham Dukham Bhavo Bhayam Chabayam Evacha Buddhir Gyanam Asamohaha Shamaha Satyam Dama Samaha Sukham Dukham Bhavo Bhavo Bhavayam Chabyam Evacha Shall we chant this next set also? Because it's discussed together, four and five, okay. Ahimsa Samata Tishtish Tapo Dhanam Yasho Yashaha Bhavanti Bhavanam Mata eva patag vidaha. I sasa mata to speech. Tapo dana yasho yashaha. Bavanti bava putana. Mata eva patag vidaha. I sasa mata to speech. Tapo dana yasho yashaha Bhavanti bhava bhutanam Mata eva pratak vidaha Okay, so starting with the translation. Where is the translation? Right, it's a whole lot of these qualities. So let's see. Yeah, yeah, please read the translation. Yeah. Um, intelligence, knowledge, freedom from doubt and delusion, forgiveness, truthfulness, control of the senses, control of the mind, happiness and distress, birth, death, fear, fearlessness, nonviolence, equanimity, satisfaction, austerity, charity, fame and infamy. All these various qualities of living beings are created by me alone. All right. So uh, the subtext in this is that basically we should grasp and get realization of these qualities and develop the qualities ourselves. Some of these qualities are qualities so that one tries to develop them. Some of them are just facts of life, like death, birth, you know, which uh, one just has to get deep understanding of their inevitability and their finality and how basically the, another verse in the Bhagavad Gita says, Janma Mrityu Jara Vyadi. These are the real facts of life, birth, death, disease and old age and how to cope and so on. So all these are qualities he's saying created uh, uh, by him alone, various qualities of living beings. Now we may have them or not have them and have them in varying proportions. 
So intelligence here, uh, just look at how it is um, elaborated on the purport that Srila Prabhupada gives here. Uh, yeah. You read intelligence. Intelligence refers to the power to analyze things in their proper perspective. And knowledge refers to understanding what is spirit and what is matter. Okay, Ordinary so, knowledge. Yeah. Hold on. What is your, do you have anything to comment on this? Intelligence refers to the power to analyze things in the proper perspective. How does it, what does it mean to you if suddenly you are shown this sentence? And like you said, you heard it a few times. What does it mean so, to, yeah. So I think what comes in my mind is like intelligence in one sense you can say is like, you know, uh, it's like wisdom, sort of trying to understand, like when knowledge is something that you like, you know, in that same thing, and knowledge refers to understanding what is spirit and matter. So yeah. like knowledge is knowing what what the subject is, but then yeah. like intelligence or like, you know, wisdom is like trying to understand it from trying to use that knowledge and apply it properly, like in or something like that, I think. Okay, now here I will like uh, 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 my my humble opinion. It, it's possible to price open this this one sentence. Yeah. Intelligence refers to the ability to analyze things in the proper perspective. I feel it's directly connected with how we uh, uh, analyze things often in the three modes, in the mode of tamogun or in the mode of ignorance. When some information comes to us, we completely understand it upside down and get all excited and get or whatever, go off on some wrong track, fearful, not concluding something that the speaker never meant and so on. In the mode of passion, what happens is that we basically uh, add some masala to it. So common, we are doing it all the time, especially when something is retold. In the retelling of an incident or even a comment by someone, oh gosh, you just have to go on the internet to see the amount of misunderstanding and fighting that goes on. Because in the internet, without the tone of the voice being there, often even communication between good friends gets uh, jolted and jilted because we don't, uh, we misunderstand what someone else said. You know, the stress and the emphasis that comes in the tone of voice is not there. So that's the mode of passion. But in the mode of goodness or sattva guna, this intelligence means that whatever information lands on your plate, you take it apart and try and sift and see what is the main point in it and what is all the other rubbish around it. You know, and you work with the main point. So now why is this the why intelligence, this kind of intelligence, it's like we develop the quality and basically coming from being able to receive and analyze information in the mode of goodness. And there's a verse in chapter four in 4.38. If you can call it up, I'll call it up here. Uh, 4.38. I'll, I'll just try yeah. to see. 4.38, right? 3.8, yeah. 4.38. Oh. 38. Oh, 38. Okay. Uh, this one. Okay. In in yeah, this world, there is no, yeah, this yeah. One, no. Yeah. In this world, there is nothing this. so sublime. Hmm. And yeah. pure as transcendent knowledge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Such knowledge is the mature fruit of all mysticism, meaning that one doesn't even have to go into all these other mystical practices. Uh, uh, it's all. It's available here. It's a mature fruit. And one who has become accomplished in the practice of devotional service enjoys this knowledge within himself in due course of time. So sublime, if you actually, when we did this verse, I'm not sure if you got into this in such detail, but the exact matching Sanskrit word for sublime is not there in the verse. 
Sadrisham. Yes, Sadrisham just means when you compare, there is nothing comparable or comparable to this transcendental knowledge. Sadrisham yeah. means by comparison, relatively, in comparison, yeah. there is nothing. So this is the most superior. Why is it the most superior? Because it gives so much, uh, such knowledge is the mature fruit and one who has, he enjoys the knowledge within himself in due course of time. What is what do you mean by enjoying this knowledge within? Surely it doesn't mean just you know learning the Bhagavad Gita all eight eight hundred verses back to front and being that's not what is meant. Enjoying means that when you will now link it please with this definition of intelligence given in the verse we are studying now in ten point four. Uh, what happens is that when you learn to um, intelligently analyze things in their proper perspective, there's a feeling of liberation. Because mm. you are not trapped by all the confusion of the material energy, which other people are all trapped by. You're able to see clearly. You're able to sift and sieve and take out all the rubbish and take only the essence of the point that's coming in a bunch of information. So that's very liberating internally. Mind feels, you know, there's no clutter. Okay, I could see things very clearly. I can see my way here. I know what needs to be done next. Okay, this is a big bombshell, but still I put it in its proper perspective. There is a past, there is a present to it, future, this is the way I go. So that feeling of being able to analyze any situation you find yourself in in the material world or any information that lands on your plate in this intelligent and mode of goodness way, that feeling is gives a sense of liberation. That is why one enjoys that knowledge within oneself. And what is coming to our help? It is very much and that we have internalized all the instructions of Krishna that is helping us react like this or respond like this. So this 4.38 is easily one of the top and the most uh, valuable verses in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, why is it so sublime? What is sublime? Like, you know, this whole Mozart, people say Beethoven, Mozart's fifth symphony. Oh, sorry, Beethoven's. I'm sorry, I'm not very good at this, mm. but you know, it's just, it's um, amazing. Is this that? Why? Because there's a feeling of great upliftment. Sublime means that you feel like you're floating in air. People lose touch with the real world. They feel liberated, like you know, like a balloon floating or a paragliding. Why do people? Is that think, is yeah, is on. that is that the same as like in um, in Ashtanga Yoga? They have this thing like called Samadhi, at the ultimate stage of uh, of uh, the ultimate level that you can reach. In like in Ashtanga Yoga, they say that you know you start okay. from the the Yama, Niyama, Pranayama, Pratyahara. Then yeah. you get to a stage where you're like the second last stage is like dhyana and then the last stage is like samadhi. Is that the yeah. same thing or is that? Uh, yeah, that in the, in the samadhi where basically the mind is so fixed they are able to get out of all the the chakras the energy moves out. But it's such a tedious, arduous, difficult to accomplish task. You know that I don't know. Yeah, definitely there will be a feeling of great liberation, particularly if they are able to then move the soul out through the skull and and go to whichever planet they want to. Sure, but this is far more doable, and it's for ordinary folks like you and me. Everybody cannot be an Ashtanga yogi, you know, practicing over so many lifetimes and so on. But uh, and that is far more arduous. This is simply by hearing, hearing, internalizing, adjusting our practices a little bit. Come to this. And this and the Ashtanga Yogi is beyond a certain stage, as we learned in chapter six. He has nothing to do with the material world. He distances himself and goes and just meditates and meditates and controls his breath movement up in the forest. Here we are talking of situations where we can't run away like that. 
they're very much stuck here, you know, in the here and now, in the material world, in this problematic material body. And yet we are able to situate ourselves so nicely, feeling sublime and feeling liberated from within that it's not, uh, it, it, whatever may be the mess or the problem that's landed on my plate, I analyze things in, in their proper perspective, uh, you know, process this information in the mode of goodness. It's so liberating, so nice. The material energy could not trap me. I feel liberated. I feel like I'm floating. That is the real key to if we can develop this kind of intelligence. It's, it's just one sentence is so powerful because uh, it is uh, really something so great. If one can do this, what Krishna and Prabhupada are mentioning. Now, knowledge, on the other hand, is the ability to, it says here, to, to see what is spirit and what is matter. Okay, that's also very valuable. How many, I mean, as he goes on, I think somewhere to say most colleges don't even teach this difference between spirit and matter. Uh, what is uh, interesting is actually like uh, when you got this point, as yeah. I'm reading also this other book, Science of Self-Realization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you read yeah. the, I think it's a sixth chapter where Prabhupada uh -huh. is, uh, maybe you should see it, the sixth chapter of the Science of Self-Realization. Prabhupada is talking to a couple of, like, I think, devotees only. I think right. some Mr. Singh and Karunananda Das or something like that. I think there's a conversation between them three. Yeah. And like he's going on this and he's also like having multiple conversations like they show like, you know, multiple conversations he has with priests and church and like um, priests from churches and then uh, yes. uh, that, that conversation between him and uh, I think F. Stahl. And yeah. then uh, that I think there was one uh, scientist in Canada who who actually said, admitted that you know, there may be a soul that, you know, that science is getting to a point where, right. you know, that they are admitting that there could be a soul within this thing. Uh -huh. And there's a, like a, Prabhupada goes, when he's talking to these two devotees, he goes into uh -huh. like this, almost like a, like it sounds like a rant that he's going on. Like, you know, it's like a rant okay. that he's going on. And okay. they're like, he makes, like he'll make a point that, like, you know, that, and then they'll say, but scientists don't believe in, um you know like uh, they believe in facts and they believe in this well what yeah. is the fact the fact is that you know that they don't have any facts then like you know he'll go like that and he'll say that they don't uh how do they know if if they know how life is created then let then let them create life let me show, show me how but they can't and they'll all and then they then i think one day what you were saying that you know they're saying that they will do it in the future like what yeah. future yeah. Right. Like what future? Like, you know, every time they'll come and say, and so I was listening to that. I was like, this is probably in the seventies. And okay. those times scientists were saying that they will most likely be able to understand how life is created and they'll be able to do that in the future. But right. 50 years later on also, there's yeah, no, uh, they're not able to do it. So, and even now also scientists are saying the same thing. Like they'll, they'll say in the future. future so he's uh, like, Prabhupada says like, you know, don't trust these uh, scientists because Mm. So that's uh, like... so far, far seeing. No, officially, yeah. it was seen yeah. like a visionary. He saw through their bluff and he didn't hesitate to call their bluff and to expose them, although it may have brought a lot of him a lot of enemies. Because yeah. now, what scientists are saying is and that's another huge racket that when a person dies, before they die, they pay a huge amount of money to keep their body in closed cold storage to up to a point or maybe at least for another 50 years or 20 years by which time when scientists learn how to bring a dead person back to life and then they can be brought back to life it's a racket it's an ongoing racket 
you know i mean, i think there's even a term for it a whole word has been coined and there are people wealthy people in at least in the west who are already into this that there are agencies that have been set up and then they are they have teamed up with scientists can you imagine meaning that say whenever they die even presuming it's an old age they are already kind of paying like an insurance like you pay a road accident and medical insurance to be kept alive uh, for another at least maybe 10 20 years whatever they can afford during which time hopefully if science discovers how to bring person back to life or to create life then they will be one of the beneficiaries it's totally ridiculous so yes shila prabhupada as you mentioned in that book uh, called their bluff years ago and got a lot of enemies in the process because the general tendency is to put scientists on a, and science on a pedestal this is the thing you're mentioning actually it is a manipuri singh and this manipuri singh went on to become a, one of the main scientifically inclined disciples of shila prabhupad in manipur and he is swarup damodar uh, that singh was trans, was made into a diksha named swarup swarup damodar uh, swami uh, he died in a bomb blast in janmashtami the manipur you know that uh, the terrorist and the I don't know if they were Maoists. Maoists, Maoists, Maoists. Yeah, they uh, they blew up. They burst a bomb during the Janmashtami celebrations in the Manipur temple. He didn't die immediately. He was injured, but after that, he never recovered. And I think some month or two months later, he left his body. But he, uh, the Swarup Damodar, he looks a little like me. So Chinese looking, like a plum face. You will see Swarup, not Sat Swarup. Sat Swarup is the one who wrote that big biography of Shri Prabhupada called Lilamrita. Mm. not that person that's a westerner this is swarup damodar he was a highly qualified scientist himself freshly out of cornell university when he joins the movement so oh. as prabhupad had uh, indian shrila prabhupad had instructed he goes on and starts what is called the bi the bhakti vedanta institute even now doing a lot of work they are not too much into main iskon iskon type they are busy uh, really um, foraging and launching more and more an attack in the scientific world and getting the scientists to listen so those who join the bi or the bhakti vedanta institute the base i'm not sure if now it's in bombay yeah i think now it's in bombay and right now there is a tamil guy a tamil devotee someone told me his name recently is an iyer uh, elderly um, name who is heading it so yeah thank you for our science of self realization is very nice it's yeah i know it's a series of the chapters are all more like yeah. there's one there's one interest there's one like a conversation that uh, prabhupada has with jf stahl and like they are going kind of back and forth and uh-huh. um, i think they may they have this uh, so in one of the points like jf uh, i think he says that you know that we don't have any problems with any other religion we are not in the business of like converting people right. we are in the business of showing people how to love god, god. so we are in the business of like you know trying to show, like we don't want people to join or uh, join even our like i think he says you know we don't want people to join us also but right. we just want people to start loving god so he makes this point that you know that in the christian religion they have this thing where they say thou shall not kill one of the 10 commandments is like thou shall not kill and right. so but then you uh, but then there's there's again killing of animals that happen like you know cows and right, uh, right. all these things so how can you explain that how so then there are all these conversations that he has with all these church priests and fathers where he's trying to convince them 
that you know that they they're not able to like give a proper uh, this you know a proper like sort of uh, reply back to that reply and, response uh, right and, like, yeah, yeah yeah, I, I and that's what he means that whatever is uh, they are doing, which is within their own religion, which is blocking them off from coming to yeah. love the God yeah. they know by their name, God's name. He just kind of attacks and points those. And definitely this heinous crime of going on killing creatures and in contravention to what, of course, they will start arguing that what Jesus Christ is talking about human beings and not animals. Then there is a certain section stage in the evolution of Christianity, which argues that animals don't have souls. Yeah, that that's what he's they're saying. That they, they they all these fathers and priests, they, different fathers he speaks to, all of them say the same thing. That in our religion we don't consider um, the animals to be to have souls at all. So then Prabhupada says, I, but you know how does how, how do you how can you justify that? You eat the animal eats. You sleep the animal sleeps. You you know what's the difference between you and the animal? There's no difference. And the only difference between the human and the animal is that the human can get to a stage where they can love God. That's they can so that the life is obviously very precious, but that doesn't mean that the soul is not present in every single living living entity. So he makes the point. And so one one father says that you know Western society and Western culture is not able to grasp that point of you know that of that soul having being there in every single thing and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so I think one like to one father, like I think he kind of convinces, but then and he says that you know, like don't, don't try not to like you know, um, try to convince people more to not slaughter animals and all stuff. Right, right, but then right. other priests, other fathers and priests, like you know, they they kind of say, yeah, okay, but it's just that this is what we believe in, this is what we believe in, and they let, let it be and all that stuff. So, right, yeah. but irrespective of the results he got. Prabhupada used to keep on trying with whomever he came across to challenge like this. And one of my students from the West, uh, when I was teaching, she told me that actually then Christianity went through a phase where it said that women don't have souls. Can you imagine? Oh. Not only oh. animals, I don't know if it's just a particular branch and in what context they came up with such a, because Christianity keeps getting meddled with and changing. You know, this uh, king in Byzantine, uh, Constantine, was it? Or, uh, yeah, he passed certain edicts to change things in Christianity to suit and to protect his position. Then when it came to Britain and Henry VIII, because he wanted to divorce his wife and marry someone else, he tried his best to tamper and to, but the Catholic Church students said they wouldn't allow divorce. That's when a break of Protestantism started. So it's always had materially powerful individuals, mostly the kings or the rajas, meddling according to historical circumstances to protect their position, to get their way and get their will and so on. That's a major issue with Christianity. I don't know if it's happened in Hinduism to that extent. Certainly the basic text they couldn't. The, the basic text they couldn't. They may have a Mayavadi slant and an impersonal slant and a speculative interpretation and all that. But basic stuff they couldn't change what, what it says. The another another interesting thing I was uh, I got to know yeah. is that if you re, if you listen to that theology on this podcast, they were uh, they were saying how did the word Mayavadi come about? And they were uh -huh. saying the reason why they are called Mayavadis is because uh, the people who believe in the idea that 
you know at the end everything is like merging into the brahman effulgence or the brahma jyoti everything merges into one those yeah. people they are they are unable to um uh, they are unable to explain if everything is one then what is maya the 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 kind of ultimate question of like how does like you know how do you how do you if everything is one then how do you then what is maya then like okay. if maya is, if maya is also one then yeah. that means illusion is almost similar to the brahman and I that can't be possible okay. and so then because they are unable to answer the question they have, they were always called mayavads i see From i think Malawati. also that uh, when krishna comes down uh, they say that is also maya you know that he is uh, yeah. the form of the lord all this is just maya and uh, yeah i guess that trap they get into this trap that if everything is one and they merge and if brahman is also maya then why bother to merge because they are still yeah. in maya that's true they can't yeah. answer that okay because they saying that they this is they will answer but the answer is not convincing it's like it doesn't give a proper like they will give an answer but then the answer is is it's not satisfactory and it's like you kind of be like okay that's not that it's not a convincing answer and so that that because of that like you know they they are called mayavadis because of uh, because they are unable to answer this question of why maya is what happens to maya basically right right yeah all right so read on this intelligence yeah, yeah. and now the difference between spirit and matter like we say no no institution even teaches all this or at least they don't teach it in this powerful and focused way because that way there are so many there were gita classes that i attended in the railway colony when i was growing up you know even before my teens i don't remember hearing or being told anything so fundamental okay it was by the ramkrishna mission there were didis and swamis coming and making us do dramas and once i had to act the role of swami vivekananda and all that and this great you know the speech he gave uh, at this whatever put chicago. on a turban chicago yeah mm. conference put on a turban oh, but something <laughs> but, but i was barely 7 8 or 9 or something oh, at that okay, time okay. but uh, it is something so fundamental that you know material perishes and doesn't last don't put your faith and love and affection in it and then spiritual is eternal and then we are basically nothing like this ever came across in all those sunday gita classes and two three years of gita chanting and recitation or whatever i did so it takes okay yeah yeah please read on therefore mm, ordinary I, knowledge yeah or, ordinary knowledge obtained by university education pertains only to matter and it is not accepted here as knowledge knowledge yeah. means knowing the distinction between spirit and matter in modern education there is no knowledge about spirit they are simply taking care of the material elements and bodily needs therefore academic knowledge is not complete yeah then comes uh, definitely acad- academic knowledge is not complete at all uh, of course here i think iskon is now gotten to iits and they are oh, sorry oh yeah i did something with my computer uh, with my phone oh, got into iits and they pushed uh, and brought in new uh, branches in the curriculum to encourage this kind of studies uh, some of them have been successful because a lot of our iskon top guns and top preachers and our most effective preachers are ex iitians themselves uh, iit powai bombay iit kharagpur so they've been able to in a maybe marginally to introduce these subjects this whole whole subject called studying 
the spiritual science of the soul i don't know what title they give it so then there is this huge push from iskon called base basis bhaktivedanta academy for spiritual education bsc they just open bsc cells like cell programs like political parties open a small cell a small unit of their political party in a new city like that this base is doing this kind of preaching inside universities and iits and pune is i think the foundation of this you know they just get in there they form a group like a club in university it's so common to go like we could all join some club the music club and the reading club and the debating club you pay some small amount and you go there and these free lectures so base is another way through which the, i think it's called the bhaktivedanta academy for spiritual education that's right so what the government and what society has not done for our generations a spiritual organization like iskon is certainly doing it is like topping up like you top up on a phone and that way so many people are being able to get this information this education uh, okay uh, asamoha of freedom from doubt and delusion can be achieved when one is not hesitant and when he understands the transcendental philosophy asamoha how is it uh, actually how is it translated in the word for word so uh, samoha is freedom from doubt oh that's all okay yeah. not equanimity i thought it will say equanimity or steadiness of mind okay freedom from doubt now here one has to be careful because there is a section in the shrimad bhagavatam which says that the ability to doubt is a sign of intelligence okay this is valuable mm. it's food for thought up to a point doubting is a healthy sign instead of just blindly following and blindly accepting you immediately doubt the veracity of something you should please verify what you are saying or what you are claiming you know especially now on the internet people will just call you out if you do such things and just make wild claims so the ability to doubt according to the bhagavatam is a sign of intelligence but not that you make doubting a eternal kind of occupation where even after the absolute pure truth is you come to it and then you still keep doubting that then that is like uh, uh, it is you are spiritually making yourself unhealthy so okay asamoha is freedom from doubt here what is meant is uh, the doubting of uh, the materialist who is not whose knowledge uh, of himself is so imperfect he doesn't know where he is coming from what he is meant to do with this material life what is his value uh, what is the certainty that he will get the goal he is struggling for what is the certainty that having got that huge goal he will actually be happy what really is happiness what is the certainty that it won't be snatched away by one twist of fate whole family perishes in an accident only he is alive so this is the kind of constant that doubting that comes on the material platform when the person has identified himself completely with materialism you know and he is not willing or he is not got access to knowledge that there is something beyond all this that even if we perish the soul lives on and unless you make a connection with the supreme soul or basically the parmatma or bhagwan there is going to be no freedom from this doubt and fear um so that is the uh, really the plight this doubting all the time that is the plight of the person who is not taken shelter of spiritual knowledge okay please read on um so as um asamoha uh, freedom from doubt and delusion can be achieved when one is not hesitant and when he understands the transcendental philosophy yeah slowly but surely he becomes free from bewilderment 
Nothing should be accepted blindly. Everything should be accepted with care and with caution. Shama, tolerance and forgiveness should be practiced. One should be tolerant and excuse the minor offenses of others. Okay, Satyam, just hold on. What do you feel is a major problem here, major difficulty in not being able to show forgiveness? Shama, tolerance and forgiveness should be practiced. But a lot of us have a lot of problems with being able to practice this. Isn't it? So one should be tolerant and excuse the minor offenses of others. Minor. So is that by implying, is he is Srila Prabhupada uh, writer implying that the major offenses of others should not be uh, tolerated or excused? Shama. Yeah, it should not. It should be like, I think you should like, like, um, I think you should deliberate and like analyze and see like, you know, whether that needs to be because I think it all depends on the situation, whether it's like major offenses that you are kind of uh, yeah, yeah. something happens to you like in a major way. Obviously, okay. it's going to be hurtful. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, go on. But what is it then prevents us from uh, forgiving and tolerating minor offenses? What is it? There is something. That is why there is so much strife and fighting and discord. And what is it? Is it ego? Is it our egoism? It is, uh, you know, that we it's are certainly, right. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. egos there. Certainly, egos involved in that. So it's like egos involved in it, or I think like in the past, maybe we have never been. Nobody has like forgiven us for some type of minor offenses that we've done. So then we don't feel the need to like um, excuse somebody if they make something to us. Like it's sort of like kind of like having revenge on somebody, even though they haven't done anything to you directly, but just the act of like. You know, in the past, somebody may have like not for like, you know, some friend of yours or whoever it is like, they said something about let's say your family or mother or father or so, and you were very you were like you were just a bit upset about it, and you didn't do anything like, like you didn't, uh, you know, like uh, you didn't do anything at that time. Some now, now if you go like you, it's like you. We, it's I mean, it's, yeah, it's difficult. Past, to, you see, like yeah. a trauma, we can't let go. Yeah, you can't let it go. Like something like, even like if somebody insults you, um, you know, like for some reason, and uh, let's say like you did something, and then that friend yeah. of yours, some small thing, but you didn't realize you made a mistake, but your friend was not able to forgive you. The same person comes and says insults you, and then you are like, why should I not? Why should I forgive this person? Or this person says something to you and then you don't talk to this person and then at some point um like you know like the place you wrote about you had written earlier yeah. right about one year what to do how to let go yeah i think so I, 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 get yeah. I get what you're saying actually recently i was listening to like an interview where the question was why do devotees have so many issues with other devotees with themselves with the guru with mind and and so an analogy was given, just explaining quickly, like a computer has three, four parts. Like uh, uh, what they said was basically uh, the, in a human body, there is the buddhi, there is the manasa, there is ahankar, and there is chitta. 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 Right? Correct, correct. Yeah, you've heard that? Did I tell you about yeah. it? Ah, no, I, 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 I think you may, have, you may have said, but actually yesterday I was listening to a video where they were talking about this actually. So uh -huh. I just like suddenly remember this. There's a, so there's a, yeah, the ultimate, ultimate level, no? like uh, Manas is like the first stage, 
Ahankaram is like the second stage, and then third is Buddhi, and then fourth is Chitta. Yesterday, I was I was listening to a video where uh, there's this couple, a Western couple. They are like getting into spirituality, so they were like reacting to this video from you know just about the yoga stuff and all that. And then so in that I saw this, and when you mentioned this, I was like, okay, now I remember this. Correct, Chitta. But but you must have yeah. Yeah, mentioned also. Yeah, no, the chitta basically in this context, it means the uh, the consciousness or the ability to the perception, whatever. So chitta apparently is like the hard disk in the computer, okay, which is going on getting information and it is all stored there. Whatever our experiences are and uh, before we come to this devotional practice, it's all stored in our perception. Now, uh, the buddhi or the intelligence is what processes all the data that comes in and stores it in different files. And apparently this processing or processor of the computer like that, the buddhi or intelligence, it sifts and sieves and organizes and good and bad and whatnot. It, that work goes on when we are asleep, whether night or morning or whenever when we sleep. So when you, that's very important. That is why sleep is very important because if sleep is denied a person after a while, he starts behaving like a crazy person, we will all disorganize thoughts because the data that's going in, you cannot stop unless you're blind. Mm. You know, it's uh, it's constantly, you see things, you make a connection, that particular face looked evil, you felt frightened when you saw some other face and uh, you read some piece of information about some food poisoning and you wonder now whether you should buy that ice cream or not. So like this, it goes on the data input, but the processing of that goes on by the intelligence and apparently at the time when we are resting and no more data is coming in, eyes are shut and you're in a reclining position or whatever, mind is switched off. So that is so much for the processor and for the hard disk, which is the chitta where it's all going in. Then the manasa is like the computer screen where uh, the mind, where the, this kind of keeps, plop, it keeps uh, popping up unresolved issues they just keep popping up on the computer screen and they are often for devotees who get started in spiritual life or doing everything that they're supposed to do keeps on like what you just mentioned some example of a person who did not forgive us and you know mm. so we feel why should we forgive it comes up on the computer screen like viruses that infect uh, 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 a computer. like uh, like memory like uh, like memory like you know, memories so like yeah. I think uh, I think what the, also adding to your point, like you know, the the idea of like we store things in our memory, you know, like certain incidences. So right, when right. when sim when similar thing happens again to us, it kind of triggers. There's a triggering. Uh, Trigger so is like, a very important point. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like when when we are uncomfortable, when we were a kid or so a child, like something uh, we have this like uncomfortable feeling about something like. We are with a group of people, somebody like makes fun of us and so we feel bad. And so then that memory of feeling bad remains. So the next time when we even when you grow up as an adult also, there's like a whenever we are with a group of people and we feel uncomfortable and we feel like, you know, we immediately get the feeling that, you know, things are going bad or, you know, there's this uncomfortable feeling that comes again. So that's based on the memory that you had when you were a kid. That right, memory right, right. is still, and so we are kind of trapped because of our memory. That's and we're right. not able to deal with it. So here in yeah. this analogy, they call it like grungies or something, meaning some kind of dirt that keeps popping up like a virus. You know, there are files that are virus in the computer system and the computer wants you to get rid of them. 
So these are the things that keep coming up and interrupting our practice and give us the feeling that despite trying so hard, I'm still not a happier person. What is the use of being a devotee? I still have issues. So the speaker was saying that actually devotees need a lot of help to get past this, what are called the anarthas. You know, you start with some shraddha and then you do what is called uh, uh, after shraddha, we start doing um, bhakti, some process of bhakti. But in the process, we are supposed to be cleaning the heart and so on. But this is, Shraddha basically just means some faith, some little faith oh, okay, okay. in God, in a process, in a guru, in spirituality, that there is some higher force. Some Shraddha has to be there. Now then the question someone asks, where does the Shraddha come from? It really, it's hard to explain. It's already, already there. Or it comes by associating with someone else who shows so much faith that you get kind of infected with it and feel, okay, there must be something even I believe in. Let me pursue this, you know, like that. So in this analogy, when, when these grungies or whatever keep coming on the computer screen, it's exactly as you said. Some, say a, a lady, a devotee comes. She comes from a broken home. Father left the mother with two children. The mother did a brave job. But the feeling that the father abandoned them has not gone. They come into the spiritual movement. Something happens. They take initiation. That guru just abandons everyone and pushes off. What's called bloop. He just leaves the movement. There have been many. Hundreds of people were affected. So in the case of these kind of ladies, the reaction is like an overreaction. Because it triggers a basic feeling of having been let down, abandoned from the past. Now, and therefore, it blows into a big issue. Some, another person also initiated and a disciple of the same guru who has now suddenly just taken off and washed his hands off and packed off is not so much affected because he may not have such an incident from the past which is triggered off that old feeling of insecurity. So what this speaker was answering is that, so the type of devotee who has uh, these issues, they have to be given some help to put the past behind them. It's very important. To really, you know, and therefore the Shiksha Guru, it's not enough just a Diksha Guru. Yes, of course, Diksha Guru, preferably someone who you relate to, who has time for you, who you learn from, study from. But the Shiksha Guru means like a mentor or counselor who helps you deal with all these issues so that you actually then get past this and start taking help from the process. Really start feeling this bhakti and feeling the happiness from within and feeling this, uh, you know, that I can surpass anger and I can... Remember Krishna, even when I'm under extreme provocation, because I feel such joy thinking of that particular past time. But what's blocking people is because all these other viruses that are there in the chitta. So yeah, I think I think memory. Yeah, that you know, like being a, like I think like um, um, I don't know who says it, but like you know, we are we are prisoners of our of our past memory, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. our past memory keeps like haunting us back in some way, where like. We, um, you know, like we are not able to do certain things mainly because we are still stuck in that. We're still stuck in, let's say, like a a time, uh, at like a uh, you know, like a time. What do, you, what do you call that? Like a time zone. Capsule. Time capsule. 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 Yeah. We're still stuck. Yeah. We're stuck in one time capsule of that particular feeling. So, like, like I was saying, like you know, like you, you when you're small, like somebody some friend of yours like you know makes fun of you because of your hair the next time you grow up as a child whatever like when you grow up as a even as an adult sometimes if somebody makes fun of you of your hair like yeah, yeah. or you know like you can, it can be it can be a trigger 
or even if they just make a small mention of the hair itself it can be like you know there's an uncomfortable feeling that i'm just like you know giving example like that but i think everybody has some things like that you know like where some yeah. somebody like somebody did something to you when you were a kid right, right. or when you're small and you're kind of like i think after that you kind of learn how to when you go through that difficulty as a kid you kind of learn how to like you develop like defense mechanisms to deal with that as as time goes on and you just deal with the problem you don't actually try to solve it and so by the time you become older like it becomes a big problem then like then you then it becomes now you have to like live your life and you have to deal with this problem also like so in one sense it's like trying to understand how do you actually resolve the issue how do you let those let those past memories and you know uncomfortability and difficulty just go away so that you can just do what do what you want to do and all that's very that's very difficult very difficult but uh, no actually this particular speaker went on to claim something which i don't know some people may contest it but he claims is coming from shastra and he says that basically if you look at a baby baby even yesterday mom and i went went about a baby frock and went for uh, someone in the back the building so the child uh, has no past he can't plan for the future he or she okay he has no awareness of its past of course he is bringing many past lives with him so the child he or she is just totally in the present so mm. if you want a baby in a cradle it's just maybe sucking its thumb but everything it's taking in you peer into the cradle it's just observing everything and it's like all the data is going in mm. you know into the chitta different face shape some smiling some trying to scowl or some trying to pinch it and what mm. not so the child then according to this speaker Uh, up to the age of seven, all this data processing and data goes in, goes in, and is gets processed. And he claims that by the time the milk teeth of a child are out, that's basically seven, eight, or whatever, everything that's going to shape the type of character that young child there. is already there. So I don't know if it, this is some kind of new age conclusion. So I would be a little careful about accepting that side of it. But he is very staunchly fixed in shastra and. Heading a big research institute in Vrindavan, and he knows what he's talking about. He's an IIT and himself, you know, from many years ago. Mm. So uh, he has lived in America, lived everywhere, but he is completely like a humble, natural Vrindavan uh, sadhu now. Yeah, though that's why those uh, I think those children who are growing up in like these gurukuls and all stuff, they grow up. They are like kind of taught from a very, very small age itself how to like. interact with people on a vedic level like on a right. like you know like discuss topics yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. discuss uh-huh. discuss all these like very serious topics even at the age of like 5 and 6 so right. they don't have so much of the baggage of like the dealing with the material problems in the material world and so by the time they become older even those problems don't really affect them in any way like right. you know somebody somebody made fun of their hair somebody made fun of their clothes or somebody made fun of them they would it wouldn't even register in their mind as something that is like uh, a problem but then if you are born if you are like you know uh, i think uh, uh, like most conditions so i guess like people are born in that you grew up in like a school environment and all that you can inevitably have instances and hang issues up, that hang ups and hang issues up, those, those, those things will be there so it's about then trying to i mean the first step is to like kind of understand that these problems exist and it's because you were when you were a child you, you know, it's not that you have any problem with this person or 
now or you know these things are all that but it's like that you you haven't resolved it when you were a child and if you are like if you get if you can like sort of get rid of that then you can you can do things that you probably never been able to do before then. That's, okay that's right that's the that is the whole sum and substance of what the speaker is saying yeah that yeah. you know that yeah. shaping of the characters already taken place the incidents and experiences and if there is trauma there is trauma the person is going to respond to any trigger and remember that trauma and they themselves may not know therefore their you know the devotional service practice like i gave the example to someone whose guru gives initiation and then kind of takes off because that person has already been in a childhood where the father just abandoned the whole family and the mother braved it it is like a double whammy for that person another person also who was initiated by the same guru is disappointed disillusioned but gets over it why because he never had a father who just kind of left them high and dry it is not a repeat of the spiritual father now you know just abandoning so that these things need to be tackled that doesn't mean that you spend from morning to evening all of the spiritual is organization just goes around counseling but people need help to get past because these are just maya's tricks they are real they really cause suffering but they are tricks to slow us down and not get out of our clutches so it made lot of sense it you know what this person speaking and he said it's all what he calls vedic psychology is doing courses to help devotees vedic psychology there are talks lectures uh, just some little bit of counseling and helping to help them get past uh, uh, and so that they then just really enjoy what they are doing chanting reading hearing lovely really drinking from the bhagavatam and so that these other issues don't come in the way so uh, therefore we were talking about this asamoha the freedom from doubt and delusion can be achieved when one is not hesitant when he understands the transcendental uh, philosophy slowly but surely he becomes free from bewilderment so therefore this is one of the problems that devotees face in this process of getting bewildered from time to time because of this what is stored in the chitta in the hard disk nothing should be accepted blindly everything should be accepted with care and caution and uh, we were talking about shama tolerance and forgiveness should mm. be practiced one should be tolerant and excuse the minor offenses of others so uh, yeah it's true and what, that is how we started on this conversation about why is it that we're not able to forgive it's possibly because we were not forgiven ourselves in some you know we have something with us we're carrying with us apart from the egoism yeah just read on satyam satyam uh, truthfulness means that facts should be presented as they are for the benefit of others facts should not be mis misrepresented according to social conventions it is said that one can speak the truth only when it is palatable to others but that is not truthfulness the truth should be spoken in a straightforward way so that others will understand actually what the facts are if a man is a thief and if people are warned that he is a thief that is truth although sometimes the truth is unpalatable one should not refrain from speaking it truthfulness demands that the facts be presented as they are for the benefit of others that is the definition of truth this is a really hard one because nobody likes you if you are someone who are going to speak the truth nobody you make yeah, yourself i have i have had big problems with this this, this thing i had big problems with this. because like um, a lot of times i like especially for me i mean maybe now especially but i always had this thing like if i say the truth it's easier to like just like uh, sort of like it's easier to like not worry that much like once you say the truth you don't have to worry about the it's out, it's out of it's your out head of 
but then there's like very various moments where you can get into problems with that and like you get into all kinds of problems and stuff and uh, yes. uh, yeah so to deal with that it's a really hard one because you become a very unpopular person if you're someone who's going to speak the truth all the time or i mean of course i think there's some kind of balance it's uh, it says you also have to find a way to say it or you have to indicate that you don't approve of what uh, of what untruth is being said by just keeping mm. silent this yeah. is another tactic when when i was small i know like when i was small like when i was going going to school and stuff i used to lie a lot to by like my parents and stuff so, like a lot of time I, i used to lie to them like you know going if i had to go and meet friends or going and doing this now obviously like i they know you know uh, i'm sure a lot of them they knew also like you know what i was doing but then you would have to like we would lie, like you would, like me and my friends you would lie and then we would like tell our friends like you're so proud of the fact that you know that we lied and we were able to like fool our parents and you know we would be like that we would like you know we we'll do our own activity or whatever but then after some time like you kind of you kind of get old like you you kind of you kind of it, it kind of gets uh, it, it kind of get gets a little old after a point like like now i'm going to be i'm going to be 30 years old now so right. now nobody i don't really i mean people like when i was 18 years old people who were 30 were very old so i can imagine if i am i mean there's nothing i'm not saying any i'm not making a statement about you or anything but i know but i'm just saying i just say like you know when i was very young like when i was like 18 i used to think people and like even anything above like 30 like you know like so now i'm in a stage where i'm like okay i am that i am that person only basically like right so what does it is there any need for me to like what am i going to get if i lie in any way now no need okay, not, so. yeah. but previously like you had to do it because it was like peer part pressure. of peer pressure, peer pressure. Social, social convention that kind of thing. even now it's very tough because now there is like what is politically correct and what you can't say and what you can say and you dare hmm. not say this is crap and this is nonsense because you know uh, it's it's tough but i think Uh, we just have to learn to develop methods by which we indicate that we are not uh, approving of the untruth like i said just stay silent and say no comments there are people who develop tactics but it's very important because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble by uh, just blurting out the truth that nobody wants to hear and you can get yourself into trouble by going along with the lie you know yeah. it's just yeah. a very unpleasant feeling how can you get sleep at night if you have a conscience you know it just disturbs you when you see untruth and crookedness it's so disturbing like uh, so, how like how bishma and uh, drona kept silent the whole time when uh, draupadi is getting disturbed in the so they don't they don't speak out then you know they obviously felt bad and uh, it can be like it's kind of it's you feel bad actually like when you when you're not able to say when you're not able to like express yourself and uh, the way you want to express it you can feel a bit like you can feel bad because you're not you're not able to say what you want to say which is there is a truth in the sense like what is it that you actually feel that is a truth but when you're not able to say what you want to say then that's kind of a lie in one sense because you're not you're not speaking so because you're not speaking in one sense you're like lying to yourself because you're not that's able right. to like yeah express right. yourself Fully, you're yeah. letting yourself down it's like being yeah. treacherous yeah. to yourself or betraying yeah. yourself that's why it so, feels so unpleasant you know then one doesn't sleep at night like that 
So what we will do is because it's six o'clock now, uh, I suggest as long as you are free like this, we can do two classes in a week. Yeah. yeah. Sure, yeah, sure. and then we will see. Like, say that means we come on next, starting with control of the census on Saturday. If for okay. some reason not Saturday, Sunday, and then again we come back on midweek yeah. Wednesday. We can keep going like this. All right. So yeah, that yeah. even after little chit chat or whatever or some, if it's definitely we start at five and we end by six. One full hour we've been concentrating on this. So this is a good way to go. Okay. Okay. All right. So Thank I'll you. I'll just I'll end the recording now.